0: Hey everyone, this is Chris and Sandy, Been with The Chris and Sandy Show. We get up close and personal with some amazing guests throughout the entertainment industry. And today, like I say on every episode, we, we got a great one for you. We got Billy Vera coming on. He's doing some great things out there. Um, he's an actor. He's a songwriter, an artist. He's an author. So needless to say, he's done it all in entertainment. And he's got a crazy story, a wild story. And he's he's lived an awesome life. And We're excited to have him on and just talk a little bit about it. Story and hear some stories that he had. In fact, he told us a Johnny Mercer story a while ago that he oh, heard. Yes. Thought that was pretty cool. Was. But you know, being on St. Patrick's Day, but we're excited to have you on. So, Billy, welcome to the show.
1: Yes, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It's the you know, same here. I like to start to show out the same way right now because, you know, in the entertainment industry, it's really tough right now Mm -hmm. with COVID. So how has COVID affected you and what have you done to kind of maneuver through this crazy new maze we have?
1: Well, you know, uh, all the nightclubs are closed. So uh, we we haven't done any live gigs for uh, a little over a year now.
2: Wow. Mm -hmm.
1: So that's been that's been that. uh, you know, the, some of the fellas in my band—they—they—they they, uh, they depend on that, you know—and they—they they don't get to do recording sessions. Nobody's doing sessions uh, the way they used to. So, but for me, I just uh, settled down and said, "What? What else can I do to keep busy, keep out of time? <laughs> so I, I wrote a—I wrote a new book, a novel, my first.
0: Book. Oh well, tell us about it.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's. It, I woke up one morning as if from a dream and the whole first scene came to me oh wow <laughs> and what it, what happens is we we see um we see a newscaster and he's announcing This this takes place on uh, September 11th 2021 on the 20th of 9/11 oh yes mm-hmm. And he says, "I have to terrible news to announce. uh, The city of Los Angeles has just been destroyed by a nuclear bomb by enemies Enemies unknown." So, our hero, if you can call him that, he's a he's a 65 year old guitar player named Johnny Santoro.
2: (laughs) He's
1: he's hoped to be retired by now on a beach somewhere, but You know, he has to work. He has to make money. So he's been playing guitar for Bonnie Raitt. And at last night's gig in San San Antonio, Texas, he met a girl. And they're in the motel. And this news comes over on the TV. And he hears her scream. He comes running out of the shower. And, And he sees this terrible, terrible news. And just as they're watching the the television, his phone rings, and it's Johnny's uncle Nicky. Uncle Nicky Santoro is the ninety-eight-year-old head of the New Orleans Mafia. Wow! And you know, so as any mafia chief will, Nicky sees opportunity in this terrible tragedy. Wow. <laughs> because just as they, just as the mafia made. JFK president in 1960, he says, now I can, we can get a president of our own. So, uh, his protege, uh, Tony Calabrese, uh, who's a senator in Louisiana, he wants to make him president. So it goes on from there. There's a, a, a love story between Johnny and, and the girl, Paulette. Paulette's a very wealthy Girl from a wealthy family in Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, and Nikki also sees opportunity there. Was uh, her father uh, is is the head of the second largest bank in France. Uh-huh. So, yes. you know, Nick, Nikki wants some uh, some financing for the election. So it goes on and on, and and uh, and, and and we the, the book really. Study is a study of how these two families come together along with a third family, which is is, uh, Johnny's best friend and his guitar tech, (laughs) who's a a black guy named Pete Holman, who uh, was a former Navy SEAL. And, uh, and, and, And his family, Paulette's family and Johnny's family, including Uncle Nicky, who's a wonderful character by the way uh how they interweave and they get together and 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 it's kind of a even though there's this a, a bit of violence in the book
2: mm-hmm. it's also
1: there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of love uh between these three families as it as it moves on and it's yeah.
0: The, yeah of toothpaste is the name of the book <laughs>
2: oh wow wow <Well.
0: coughs> So, you know, when you look at the entertainment where a lot of hosts would ask, when did you know you wanted to be in entertainment? But I always like to go deeper than that. When did it click that it was in your blood enough to actually make a career out of all of this craziness?
1: Well, it was in my blood from day one. You know, my, my mother was a, a singer. Oh, wow. Uh, she uh, ended up being a, a background singer on the Perry Como show.
0: Oh,
2: cool.
1: oh, oh, yes. Yeah. And my dad was a, a radio and television announcer. He was a staff announcer on NBC in New York. <laughs> I was around show business my whole life, you know, backstage, you know, in the dressing rooms with my mom and all the half-naked dancers and singers. <laughs> <laughs> As a little boy, you know pinching my cheek and putting me on their caps, you know. <laughs> all these beautiful girls, I said, boy, I, I, this is what I want. I want to be in show business. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> of course, I. my mother brought home all the great music, you know, between Frank Sinatra and Duke Ellington and Nat King Cole and, and all that. And then when rock and roll came in, because I'm old enough to be 11 years old when rock and roll first hit the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, Little Richard, Frankie Lyman, those were all my childhood heroes. And I, I wanted to, I saw Chuck Berry on American Bandstand. I said, that's what I want to be. I want to be him, you know. When <laughs> I, and uh, so I i learned how to play guitar, learned how to play drums, and learned how to play piano a little bit, enough to write songs, and and uh, went from there, you know.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> Now, you'll probably really love this next question um, because, you know, a lot of people, they see the glory of the big artists, the glory of the big actors. But they don't see the grime, the sacrifice, the tears, the struggles that it takes not just to get to their level, but even a career level within entertainment. And I always want to talk about that side of it, because in my opinion, nobody else talks about it. When you really listen to other shows, they talk about the glory that's happening. And I think sometimes it becomes lopsided where people step into this crazy industry that they, they think it's all glory, but there's so much work involved. And I'm going to tell a quick story that kind of helped where I want this to go. But back in 2014, we interviewed Allison Steele from Two Steel Girls. And I asked Allison and at that time her and her daughter were full time with music. And I asked Allison what advice she'd given up and coming artists. I'll never forget what she said. She said, this is going to sound funny coming from someone full time. But if you can see yourself doing something else. Go do that and just keep this as a hobby. She goes, because the moment you want it to be a career, your life changes. Everything changes. You have to change. You no longer own your own life. Everybody kind of owns a little piece here and there of your, your life. Then your friends and relatives never understand because they invite you to weddings, the cookouts, the weekends, the holidays. But when you're in the beginning of your career with entertainment, you're in that grind mode. You're in that super focused grind mode. And you have to say no to everything. And they don't get that. And it's not that you're that you don't like them no more. Like sometimes they think that. But it's that if you're going to make it entertainment, you've got to be all in, And that's where she added. But if, you know, for those type of sacrifices to become worth it, you have to be all in. So what do you think about what she said? Let's talk about that side of it.
1: Well, yeah, Um, you know, I started right away, pretty much. you know, I was when I was in high school. There was a, uh, a there, people were just starting to to form bands. Oh well,
2: wow. uh-huh.
1: you know, before that you had to be a, a football hero or whatever. <laughs>
2: um,
1: and suddenly, here there's a band here, a band there, and there was a band in my high school called the Pharaohs. They were they were seniors, and I was a, I guess by this time I was a I was a junior, because I had done a talent show in, this, in uh, 10th grade. And we, won, we were the only rock and roll uh, group. And we, we got 296 out of 298 votes. Just because we rock and roll, not because we were any good. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because there was this one fellow, uh, Germano Romano, I remember his name. And he was a wonderful classical piano player. And here he is a, a, a sophomore in high school his hands were already insured for $100,000. That's how good he was. And the wow. Poor
2: guy,
1: the poor guy got two votes, you know.
2: <laughs>
1: and I, I felt so bad for him because we were just kids, you know. We, we couldn't really sing or play yet. Anyway, the Pharaohs asked me to, to replace their singer who had gone off to join the Navy. And we, we started playing all these, you know, Catholic school dances and, and stuff like that because you. Too young to play nightclubs yet, and we became locally famous. You know, uh, <laughs> not because we were great, because how many rock and roll bands were there? And uh, and 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 so, little by little, I started writing songs, and I was. Let's see, how did this happen? We, we decided to make a record. With a band I was in, another band I was in. And so we got this guy to put up a few dollars to buy some studio time. We made a record, and and I wrote one side of it, and we sold it to a record company, <laughs> and uh, and one side became number one in Pittsburgh. You know <laughs> yeah. what they call regional hits,
2: because
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. they didn't have this massive uh, publicity thing going yet, and because. It was a it was really it was really a cottage industry you know all the lawyers and all the millions and millions of dollars hadn't really come into it except for regular pop music you know your sinatras your, hmm. you
2: know,
1: that kind of thing. so the side i wrote ended up being a top 10 record in texas and louisiana so i said wow this is cool so I, we go into the record company one day and, and uh the guy there says, she says, Boy, that, that you that's a good little song you were really you got any more? I said, Yeah, I got a couple of things. so I played them for him. And he took he took I think two of them, gave me a thirty-five dollar advance <laughs> and paid for a demo. So a couple of weeks later, now remember I, I'm like nineteen years old, I'm very naive. Calls me up one morning. He says, hey, I got a record on one of your songs. And and I'm I'm thinking I'm cool and all cynical and everything. And I said, Oh yeah, what the B
2: side is? That? <laughs> he said,
1: No, 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 the A side. I said, oh, Who's it by Joe Blow? He said, No, man, Ricky Nelson.
2: I said, wow. Oh, that's huge. Nelson. I said, he's right,
1: man. I wrote this song, that new girl, what's her name? Dion Warwick. Not knowing that Dion Warwick was all tied up with Bert Bacharach and how oh, they wow. Were you know, so he says, you ungrateful little putts, he says, Ricky's going to do your song five weeks in a row on the Ozzy and Harriet show, you know, you're guaranteed to, to have a hit record. Huh. So here it is, the first song I ever took to a publisher, it gets recorded by a big star and becomes a hit record.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: wow, well, that's amazing. Wow, what an easy business this is. Ha, oh, God.
2: ha. ha, ha. <laughs>
1: Little did I know, you know, I, I was having what what's known as beginner's luck. Wow. Um, but because it was a cottage industry, everybody on Broadway knew who this new kid was who, who had a hit record because that's what they were always looking for the new kids. And so I, I, it was easy to get into other publishers. Mm-hmm. I wound up with a, a very big publisher uh, called April Blackwood Music. It was owned mm-hmm. by. CBS. Oh, wow. And the guy liked the songs I brought him. And he says, "Uh, how would you like a job here, writing songs? I said, wow, that'd be cool. Wow. We'll give you 75 bucks a week and a little office. (laughs) You need a little seasoning, so we're going to put you with this guy named Chip Taylor. Uh, Mm -hmm. Chip Taylor was four years older than me. Turns out he went to my high school and he had an, a, a brother who was a couple of years older, who was a, an up-and-coming actor named John Voight.
2: Oh
1: wow! So Chip went on to write songs like "Wild Thing," "Angel of the Morning." Well, the first song that he and I wrote together became a hit <laughs> by Barbara Lewis. A song called "Make Me Belong to You."
0: Oh, wow! wow.
2: Only,
1: if if you had a hit song, you got Cover versions. Mm-hmm. You know, Fats Domino recorded it, and, and a lot of other people in foreign languages, you know, in France and Italy, you know. So that, that was how you made your money, you know, the more people recorded your song. So uh-huh. I became uh, a quasi known songwriter. And then Chip and I, uh, because we had a record by Barbara Lewis, who was on Atlantic Records, which was my favorite record company, we mm-hmm. girls, drifters, coasters, Bobby Darren. and we had entree to the boss up there, Jerry Wexler, was his name. So we wrote a song we thought would be cool for a duet by a couple mm-hmm. of Atlantic artists. So we made a demo of it with some, some girl from the neighborhood, you know. So we take the demo up to Jerry Wexler and he pounds his fist on the desk and goes, man, this is a smash. He said, "Get rid of the girl in the demo, and I'll record you on it." We're like, "This is a dream come true!" You know, (laughs) already I had my name in the little tiny print underneath the title of the song. Now I'm going to have my name in a little bigger print, (laughs) but I got to find a girl. So we were the house band at this one of the top nightclubs in the area, and every weekend we we played two dance sets and then back up a hit record act. We'd have one hit record act on Friday, one on Saturday. And uh, we'd accompany them. And I became friendly with a lot of the acts, one of which was Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells, who were the records at the time. So one of the girls in the group, Nona Hendricks, had a voice I thought would blend well with mine. So I called her up in Philadelphia. I said, uh, hey, Nona, you know, Atlantic Records wants to record a song of mine as a duet. You want to make a record with me? She said, sure. <laughs> so she comes up and we record the song. Well, their manager gets in on the act, and he's, he's afraid that if Nona and I have a hit, that she'll leave the group and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Patty and the girls, they, they wanted us to sing together because they didn't have a guitar player. And they said, well, no, no, if Billy could be our guitar player and then he and Nona could sing their hit, we could sing our hit. Oh, wow. You get more money for the act, you know?
2: Yeah, it makes
0: sense. Makes a lot of sense.
1: It, well, not to the manager. <laughs> <laughs> so now we had to audition 20 more girls and they all, they were, you know, okay, but they sounded more like they should be singing Stephen Sondheim songs, you know, like something like
2: that.
1: <laughs> so we're just about to give up. Jerry Wexler calls up. He says, we got this girl named Judy Clay. She's a, a, a cousin of Dionne Warwick. And, and take a listen to her. See what you think. So uh, she came up to audition, and she's like 14 months pregnant. You know, she's big in the house. And <laughs> his big voice, she was She was great. She had a terrible attitude, you know, because, you know. Oh, uh, wow. Well, Dion had already become a star. You know, Dion's sister, Dee Dee Warwick, had, had some hit records. And there, there, her aunt, Sissy Houston, you know, Whitney's mother. Uh, yes. Sweet Inspirations. And Judy, who had been the lead singer in the gospel group, the family gospel group, she couldn't get arrested, you know. and.
2: Mm-hmm. So- mm-hmm.
1: So after she leaves, they say, "Wow, she sings great, but man, can you handle that attitude?" I said, "Yeah, I got a sister like that; I can handle." That. <laughs> so we recorded it with Judy, and we had a hit record.
2: Wow!
1: Storybook children. We, we were the first racially integrated uh, male-female duet to have a hit record.
2: Wow! Cool. Oh, very so we,
1: cool. We get, we get an offer. to <coughs> the world famous Apollo Theater in Harlem, which is the pinnacle of black show business.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: So in those days, the Apollo was a, a seven-day-a-week, five-show-a-day. Wow. It doesn't, it's not as hard as it sounds because all the acts did about three songs except... The, song. <laughs> okay. you know, the star did 20 or 25 minutes, and everybody else did about 13 minutes, 12 or 15 minutes. Anyway, we get to the theater for rehearsal, which they had a beautiful, wonderful uh, house man there. that backed everybody up. So the the stage manager was a fellow named uh, Honey Coles of the famous tap dance team, Coles and Atkins. Uh, He looks at me and he says, oh, he says, you know, Harlem hasn't seen you yet. (laughs) He says, but I got an idea. Now this. Bear in mind, this is one month after Martin Luther King was murdered. Oh wow! Oh, that time period. Was a little leery. You
2: know? mm-hmm.
1: There was riots going on across the river in Newark, New Jersey. You know, so he said, "I got an idea." He said, "He said, Billy, uh, you enter from stage left, and Judy, you enter from stage right. Let her take three steps when the music starts, and then you make the records and watch what happens." Uh, mm-hmm. So we put us on second. The the first the opening act is always a, a flashy uh, choreographed act to get everybody excited.
2: To get sure. them excited, huh? Uh,
1: yes. the second act is usually somebody new or somebody that's one of the lesser acts. Then it gets better, 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 better Star. Mm-hmm. So we go on second, and I wait one, two, three, enter. Fifteen hundred people gasp. And I hear him, that's him? The record was already a big record, you know, in New York. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And they're going, that's him? That skinny little white boy? That's him? And uh, we went over like gangbusters. They loved us, you know? Oh, wow. So after the first show, he comes up to our dressing room, Honey Coles. And he says, I'm, I'm changing up the show. He says, "I'm I'm going to put you all on right before the star." He says, "Cause ain't nobody going to follow YouTube," and so that became our, uh, our position on the show. Oh wow! ever, ever after that, so we became
0: quite popular there. Wow!
1: So oh, that's amazing. so.
0: How did the Dolly Parton song happen?
1: Well that that that's an interesting story, I think. Anyway. Uh, Viewers will think so. (laughs) The 1970s were uh, a real slow time career-wise for me. The music had changed. The culture had changed. And, uh, you know, my style of singing, which is what they used to call a blue-eyed soul singer, (laughs) was out of fashion. And I couldn't figure out where do I fit in? I, I, I can't be a heavy metal guy you know. I, I, i'm a soul brother you know i couldn't yeah. be a wimpy singer songwriter you know a james taylor type that's not me i i couldn't be a a, a disco singer I, you know like any self-respecting musician i hated disco and 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 so i just was doing survival gigs you know uh and making a barely, I moved back with my mother, you know, like some <laughs> And so here we are, it's around 1977 or so, 78. And I'm playing some terrible gig at a Ramada Inn, you know, for two weeks at a Ramada Inn lounge where, you know, in the middle of the week, you're playing to three businessmen. You know, it was terrible. One night, I- I come off stage and the waitress says, there's this fellow over there with his wife they'd like to have a word with you. So I go over to the table and the <laughs> guy extends his hand to me. He says, uh, L. Russell Brown. I wrote a Yellow Ribbon around the old old. <laughs>
2: I'm
1: going like, how nice for you, you know. <laughs> and, and I'm just kind of bummed out. And he says, you know, Vera, he said, that. I love the records you made. He says, You know, you're one of the great singers. He said, My God. He says, You're you're a great songwriter. Everybody knows how great you are, but you never make any money. And I'm like,
2: Yeah. (laughs) Rub it in, right? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) He
1: says, You know, me, I make a lot of money, but nobody respects me like they respect you.
0: Wow. He
1: said, "I, I had an idea while I was listening to you out there. He says, you and I had to get together and write some songs. He said, "I, I you could teach me how to get respect, and I could teach." And he could you teach you how to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> I said, "You know, that sounds like a good idea." So I started going over to his house in the in the in the afternoon. You know, and he was a very energetic guy. You know, he, he wrote a lot of songs. Sometimes two, even three a day. Not all good, but. You know, so, <laughs> So one day, like everybody that's successful at one thing, he wanted to do something else. He wanted to be a record producer. So he gets a gig producing Nancy Sinatra. Oh, wow. Uh, Sort of in a downslide at at that time. But still, it's Nancy Sinatra. Yes. He said said to me, listen, I got to go pick up my wife at the beauty parlor. He said, start something for Nancy, and we'll finish it when I get back. I said, "Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm like, um, what the hell do I write for Nancy Sinatra? My God, she's not that greatest singer, you know? Uh, oh, she got this famous father. Uh, so I'm writing lines like, I love my daddy, but it really don't matter what my daddy might say, you know, mm-hmm. things that I thought would fit her. So I finished it by the time he got back and he loved it. You know, he says, oh my God. He says, this is the number one song, if I ever heard one. He said, I'm gonna play it for Nancy. We so he plays it for Nancy, and she hated it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank God she hated
2: it. <laughs>
1: because he says, you got to do something with this. Band. So my friend had this little country band up in Connecticut, and he had a girl singer who, was, who had a nice voice. It was as it turned out, she was lazy, and she didn't really learn the song very well. <clears throat> but we made the record with her, and everywhere I took it, they said, "Love the song, hate the girl." Said, Love the song, hate that girl. Last guy on my list, literally. The last, there was nobody after this guy. Charlie Coppelman was his name. He said, "Love the song, hate the girl." But we're recording Dolly Parton next week. Mm. Let me have the song for Dolly. He said, "I'll guarantee." Wow. So well, I didn't trust him, which is why he was the last guy on my list. And I said, Charlie, Give me some money, you know. So I figured he'd give me a couple of hundred dollars, you know. I didn't even look at the envelope when the girl gave, gave me the check that he wrote or she wrote. So I'm in the elevator, and I was—I had my little girlfriend with me that day, and she says, "Give me that envelope." I'm going down in the elevator, you know, and she opens it. She's, "Holy shit, baby! He gave you twenty-five hundred dollars." Wow. Wow. Fortune in 1978, you know. <laughs> yes. So I figured he's serious, you know, and uh, it, it took a couple of months, but the record comes out, and it's Holly Parton. In the interim, I'd gotten an offer to move to LA and and write songs for Warner Brothers Music. Mm. Uh, uh, so I'm driving out with everything I owned in my car, and on the radio, I'm going across Route 10. And uh, every twenty minutes, they're playing my song.
2: Wow! I
1: hadn't had a hit record in nine years, so this is like a big deal to me. (laughs) And I said, "My God, I'm back in show business!" You know, in L.A., the record reached number one, and I and that I I I took that as an omen that L.A. was going to be good to me. uh,
0: Wow. So, so through your years in the entertainment industry, what are some changes you've seen that are for the good and for the bad? Because, guess, you've been around entertainment all your life. What are some things that are good but also not good?
1: Well, for me, the good thing was, uh, you know, during that 70s down period, uh, as, as difficult as it was, um, there was a big oldies revival in New York. Oh, wow at that time, early 70s. Mm-hmm. And so I was hired to have the house band at a lot of these oldie shows in the, in the theaters and in nightclubs. But I, so I got to work with most of my childhood idols, you know, all the doo-wop group, man. And, uh, and I, got to, I got to befriend these people who I had listened to when I was 12, 13 years old. And uh, so that was, you know, for me, that was just wonderful. You know, I got to meet Fats Dom, you know, he had recorded one of my songs, the one that that, that was a hit for Barbara Lewis.
2: Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: He was starring on a show we did at the Academy of Music in New York. So uh, the fellow that introduced us, he said, this is Billy Vera, uh, you know, you, you recorded a song he wrote. He said, oh yeah, which one? Make me belong to you. He starts singing it, man. And uh, he said, you know, I got five children. That's their favorite song of mine. So I thought he
2: was just, wow. uh,
1: you know, blowing smoke, you know, being saying that to be nice. But years later, uh, I became friends with a guy that he grew up with in New Orleans. And he said, oh, no. He said, uh, he said uh, if Fats said it, he meant it. He said, because Fats is not sophisticated enough to bullshit.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so... That was that was pretty cool, and I figured, well, why would that song of all well, songs be his favorite? And then I realized, when he was having all those huge hits, they were little children, and they didn't know what Daddy was doing. So by the time he recorded my song, they were old enough to be aware of what he was currently doing.
2: Oh wow! Wow,
1: so, yeah. So that was that was some of the really nice things about being in film business uh, in the early years. In Later years, you know, I got to, I got to, thanks to Chip's brother John Voight, uh, John talked me into going to acting classes, and I, I had no desire to be an actor, but he, but he was very persuasive, and so I went to this class, and I. And I said, I saw these guys up on stage. I said, wow, what they're doing is pretty cool. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, they're expressing themselves. And and, and the, the method of, uh, the acting method that this fellow, David Provo, you might have seen him in Sopranos. And, oh, wow. And he was teaching this method that sort of built on something that I had started doing on my own in my singing, which was, you know, most singers they get out on stage and they say, and their attitude is I'm going to make you laugh, I'm going to make you cry, I'm going to make you feel this, I'm going to make you feel that. Yeah. And I said, you know, it's got to be more to performing than just manipulating an audience.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It occurred to me one day what if what if something terrible happened today? My sister died or whatever. And I got to go out there and sing a, a comical song. Is my obligation to be funny? It certainly is. But do I not also have an obligation to, to be real? Them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What am I doing? I said, and maybe the crashing together of those two things might make my performance more Mm -hmm. Mm well-rounded, and and I came up with this somehow, I don't know, (laughs) on my own, but the the acting class showed me how to, uh, ways of doing this, and uh, and, and so after a while, you know, it it wasn't easy at first, but after a while, I I became good enough to, you know, get some offers to be in plays and- Oh, wow. TV shows, and then finally some movies and stuff, and uh, and, and so it, it became a nice little sideline to to have uh, in my back pocket when the music was slow. <laughs> so that was that was a that was a good thing.
2: When
0: it comes to entertainment, it's kind of kind of good to be uh, good at several different things within entertainment because, it like is. you said. You know, things are gonna slow down in one area. Well, if it does, you could pivot.
1: Exactly, exactly. I figured that out. You know, the more things you could do, you know, one, one year, you know, my mother, one of the great pieces of advice my mother gave me when I started out, she said, if you're gonna be in show business, remember, it's a business of peaks and valleys. Ooh, you know, one yes. year you'll make a bundle and the next year you won't make anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, always live below your means.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so many performers, and
1: I've seen it myself, you know, that will make that bundle and the next year, and they'll buy
0: the big house, the big car. And then and nothing the next year. And then, and then, yeah. and then, that's like MC Hammer, you know, he made, I think it's $70 million and went bankrupt. And from the story that I read had to do with that. He basically took his hometown with him and paid almost everybody on his thing, like six figures. And when, when the numbers started coming down, he couldn't say no. Yeah. So he was still paying people, even though the money wasn't coming in Mm -hmm. and eventually lost it all.
1: Well, that's not an uncommon story, you know, that is a, uh, he didn't. He, he could have used my mother,
0: <laughs> 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 and that's like with this show. You know, when we, we launched this show, January of 2020, right? And, and it was going to be. And it's funny. You're going to laugh at this, but it was that the original plan was an up and coming um, country artist interview show. That yeah. was the original plan. Then yeah, COVID the hit, mm-hmm. and next thing you know, it went from. Uh, Country music interview show to a full music interview show. All genres. Then we had a big month in August of last year. We interviewed forty-four musicians. Wow! And it slowed down in September, and I got so because of a lot of people were starting to finally get gigs again. So it was getting harder to book. And I told Sandy, um, I got so used to doing so many interviews. It's like, how are we going to fill in these gaps? And I came up with this crazy idea. I was like, I wonder if the acting world would would take us in like the music world has. So we made a small pivot there and started reaching out to rising actors and big actors and all that people. And and because of that, we end up with um, Ed Asner came on the oh, show. Yes. Oh, wow. You know, and but we had a, and we've had had a lot of actors that come on the show. So now it's a now a, so it went from a country music show. To a music show to now a full-fledged internet interview show
1: that's great that's great well that's 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 the way to do it man you know diversify
0: <laughs> and and we're grateful for that because okay, we're grateful for yeah. the people that helped us get the show off the ground you know the country music artists and we still bring country music it's, it's okay. still our foundation is country music but we're grateful that we've been able to expand because now it's broadened our base and the stories we get. Like you know, we've never got to hear your story. It's been oh, pretty cool.
1: Yes. Well, you know that your approach didn't uh, didn't hurt Johnny Carson. You know, he had,
0: <laughs> he had everything
1: from actors to singers to trumpet players to little old ladies. <laughs> On that show, and was- and
0: that's our original. That not not our original plan, but that's kind of our vision now to be like a Kelly Clarkson show, yeah. a Johnny Carson show, but a TV yeah. show eventually. because uh, I don't know of like any TV show that does so. a, a married couple. It's like well, that's yeah. that's our niche. We're a family entertainment show, oh, okay. bringing all these guests on.
2: Oh, cool!
1: Well, it's great. Well, you're really good <laughs> at it because you know you, you 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 know how to ask the right questions that let the, let the guests talk. And that was Johnny's, you know, I did Johnny Carson nine times. Oh, wow.
2: Oh, wow.
1: his, his uh, a friend of mine back in LA, back here in LA, wrote uh, Johnny's monologues, you know, at the opening of the show. hmm And he told me, he said, you know, Billy, he said, uh, you were Johnny's second favorite singer. Oh, wow. Oh. I said, really, who was first? <laughs> <He> said, <laughs> Tony Bennett was his number one favorite. Ah, uh,
0: Tony Bennett, yeah. Well, you should have asked who was number three, so you could see who you're ahead. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. Well, you know, Johnny's secret was he let the guest be the star. He said, "Man, they see me five nights a week. He said, they get tired of me?"
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He said, the, "The key is to let the guest be the star." And, and there are a lot of uh, late night guys on now that could learn that lesson,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: They try to, you know, overshadow the guests. When yeah.
2: yeah.
1: A couple of them are really mean, you know. They, they'll make jokes at the guest's expense.
2: Oh, I, that's you know, not right.
1: You know, David Letterman was like that. And uh, I, I never did his show, but I, I, I'd see him from time to time. I said, man, that, that's that's not nice.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: These people are coming on your show for a scale, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> are coming on your show for three hundred dollars or whatever and, uh, and and you're making fun of them you know that's, mm-hmm. that's not cool man,
2: but Johnny wasn't
1: like that you know he he was always uh, he enjoyed the performers you know and he he, he he was good he was like you he was he would he would ask a question that would get them to talk, you know. And, and that was his secret. That's why John, there'll,
0: there'll never be anybody who Johnny Carson. And and I do talk a lot. But I probably talk sometimes more than I should, but I want to be... He's learned. I've, I've learned to hone. I mean, if you go back to listen to our very first interviews, we've done <laughs> come a long way. almost 400 now since January 2020. Um, so I've come a long way. But in the very beginning, we had an hour and a half shows. Uh, yeah. I've learned to hone it down and get it between the 45, 60 minute mark. And, and cause I like to talk too. And I like to make a conversation, you know, I like to hear the guests talk, but I also want to talk because make it a full fledged conversation. Yeah, but I also cool. have learned when to say something yes, and when not to let say the something.
1: Shine. Yeah. Yeah. You don't cut
0: people off. That's, that's it. A, that's a secret. I love that. Um, so as you know, a lot of people, they see the artists, um, But they don't see the teams behind them. And in my opinion, the teams never get the love they deserve. And I don't care if someone has a team of one or a team of 300, like Justin Bieber says he has. Um, The team is a team. And without the team, the artists, the actors, um, the authors, they can't do what they do best. And that's get out there and perform. So if you want to take a few moments, just tell us about the team that helps you be who you are.
1: Well, of course. I start out with uh, the band, you know, the beaters. Uh, un- we we just lost one to COVID. Uh, oh well, oh, sorry, sorry to
2: hear that. that.
1: Yeah, Jerry Peterson, who uh, who played that iconic saxophone solo, on at this moment, uh, he he passed away from COVID. Oh man.
2: Yeah.
1: But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've kept those guys going, and they've played behind me for forty years now. You know. Wow, I mean, there have been changes, of course. You know, this one gets a better job, paying more money, or whatever. But I got some guys that have been with me that long,
0: so it shows you're doing something right.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I you know, it's it's certainly not a, a gig that that anybody's going to get rich off of. <laughs> That's for sure. But they like they like the music. The guys always say they 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 love playing my songs. Because they're not, they're not cliche-ridden, you know, typical songs, and they're they're so they're more interesting for musicians to play, uh, apparently. So there's that, and of course, uh, you know, uh, we have your agents, you know, get you get you little gigs here and there. I, I I've had a a voiceover career as well. Oh wow! Like what my my dad did, you know. Doing commercials, I used to do all the the, the network promos for CBS, the comedy promos.
2: For
1: about five years, and I've I've done tons of, of voice commercials. You know, so my agents there have really done a good job. Southern and Benari, uh, and of course, my music agent's been with me for over thirty years. Many wow, miles. I'm I'm pretty loyal. Uh, Sometimes, I've, I've been too loyal. Uh, people that have outlived their usefulness, but I, I kept them on. Uh, and most most important is, is a woman named Tamala D'Amico, mm-hmm. who's who mainly a, a, an actress, singer, model, uh, influ- what they call influencers these days. Yeah. yeah. She sort of watches out for me. You know, she she, she, she she, sort of has the role that a manager would normally take without being called a manager. And um, mm-hmm. she's one of the smartest people I ever met. So she's been a great great help in getting me into areas that I might not have gotten into. Oh, wow. My first, my first book, people had been after me. Why don't you write an autobiography? Why don't you write? An and I said, "Oh man, I'll, you know, it's too much trouble. Nobody cares about my story." Yeah, but you got so many great stories, Billy. You know. So finally, I got tired of 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 listening to people yell at me. So I, I had gotten uh, I met with some uh, literary agents. And they all said the same thing. Oh, you're, you know. Your stories are good, but you're not a big enough name, you know. Yeah, yeah. it be hard to sell you. So, so I I just went ahead and wrote wrote the book. Eventually, this is several years. Mm-hmm. And so Tamala just would not take no. She took it to all these different publishers, and she finally got, you know, a good sized publisher to put it out. Wow, and mm-hmm. it out pretty well. People really love it. You know, uh, it's called Harlem to Hollywood, and uh, it's you know my life story uh, in and out of show business, and, um, and then a documentary was made, also called Harlem to Hollywood, so, wow. because I got first got known at the Apollo, and then <laughs> of course, it did pretty well in Hollywood, uh, and uh, and you can see the movie. On uh, on Amazon Prime.
2: Oh, cool!
1: Oh. on uh, it's on Tubi, and a couple of those other places. Um, the book Harlem to Hollywood's available on Amazon, and uh, so that that's I I knew I could write because I'd written a lot of articles. You know, I I I'm sort of uh, I'm sort of an expert on on old rhythm and blues and rock and roll. And I've written a lot of magazine articles on, on, on the old music, and a lot of liner notes. I eventually won my my only Grammy for writing wow. notes on a, a Ray Charles box set.
2: Oh wow! Yeah,
1: wow. 2013. So you know, my, my, by the time I wrote the book, my writing had gotten fairly good, and then last year. I got an offer from another publisher. Uh, they, they were BMG. They were doing a series of of books about little independent record companies, both old and new. You know, they, the new for the, one of the, one of the new ones they put out was on this uh, label called Sub Pop, uh-huh. in Seattle, and then they did one on this old label called Excelle uh, Records. Well, they asked me to do one on Specialty Records. <laughs> because i had I had worked as a consultant for Specialty. Specialty was the company that gave us little Richard. Wow. Sam Cook, Lloyd Price, mm. and uh, a lot of really great rhythm and blues and and, and rock and roll artists. Uh, and it so happened that I was still friends with the founder of the company, a man named Art Root. 103 years old and he's sharper than all three of us put together let me tell
2: you
1: (laughs) he started the company in 1945 right after the war and uh and and it became one of the most important of all the rock and roll record companies right up there with atlantic and chess and sun records and so you know i i wrote that book it's called rip it up the specialty record story and of course, having roof, uh, he he wrote the foreword for me. And of course, I if I if I got stuck, I'd call him up. You know, say, "Hey, Art, do you remember?" And he had an amazing memory. You know, I I only caught him once with something that he didn't remember.
2: <laughs>
1: but that that's pretty good for a hundred and three year old man.
2: Wow! So,
1: second book, and then of course this. I decided, to say, well, if I could do that, maybe I could do a novel you know, and, and a, a dollop of toothpaste. And they're all available on Amazon. Available
0: wow. On. You know, speaking of teams, we have a third co-host, our nine-year-old, that we let yes. come on the show and His ask. His name is Christopher. He always comes on and asks a couple questions. So yes, she's going to go get him. get him. And oh, we've cool. got a two-year-old daughter that when she gets older, she'll be plugged into the show, too. Because <laughs> cool. we are a family show. I'd say so. Right. <laughs> so and that's how, how we went. How often does the show run? We do a show every day, six days a week
1: every day six
0: days there a week. there and there are times we do two a day wow. but 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 i but i was like like I said in August we did forty four that month, but I try to tone it down we're, we're trying to kind of keep a pattern where everybody knows at two p m Eastern for the most part, we're doing a show,
1: oh okay, so we're on live right now, yeah, oh, okay. Christopher, I recognize you anywhere.
2: Yeah, hi Billy. What's your favorite food?
1: My favorite what?
2: Favorite food.
1: Favorite food. Thing. Food. Food. I bet you it's the same thing. You, your favorite pizza. Mm.
2: <laughs> Mine is pizza.
1: I knew, it. I knew <laughs> it. What do you like on your pizza? Uh,
2: pepperoni.
0: I'm I'm a sausage guy. <laughs> it's funny. Usually, he says pepperoni and sausage.
2: It usually does. Yeah, he likes
0: pepperoni. Likes pepperoni sausage. So it varies. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. No, I like it. I like nice Italian sausage. Hmm. That sounds good. Huh? Yes. All right,
0: All right. What's
2: your favorite favorite TV show?
1: My favorite TV show. Well, lately I've been watching uh, a lot of Netflix. Mm. You know. So uh, there was. course those those shows come and go maybe 10 episodes and that's the end of it but i liked one a lot called babylon berlin and Mm -hmm. i liked another one called peaky blinders oh wow yeah but on regular tv let's see i like i like blue bloods on friday night they're
2: good
0: yeah
1: tom Selleck, and i also like ncis a lot
0: yeah we like all those shows like that tuesday night yeah and what's yours
2: my spongebob
0: spongebob oh okay <laughs> and, and you know what's been cool is you know he watches a lot of nickelodeon shows so oh. we've been able to bring a lot of people from his shows onto our show so he can talk to
1: them. oh boy you must have fun chris if we're talking to them huh
2: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah and that's funny because sandy and i will joke says you know he, you know little Chris, he just this is just normal to him, you know a lot of kids would love to talk to people that are on t v and on the radio that they hear, and yeah. it's it's just normal to him, and we're just sitting here like, this is crazy lifestyle that we live right now doing this show Christopher have you um uh, have you ever spoken on on here to uh people
1: that do the voices on the on the cartoon shows
2: mm-hmm.
0: Trying to I think he I did think one,
2: yeah yeah, I think we
0: did have one, I think we did time. have one we've done so many shows it's hard to keep up with who's yeah. who but I bet I'm almost sure we did one, yeah, I yeah.
1: bet it's, I bet it's really strange to hear that voice coming out of a real face instead of a a, a cartoon picture, huh
2: yeah <laughs> right?
0: right
2: bye, thanks,
0: okay, buddy, you' be good. <laughs> yeah he he loves this part you know we've done like i said we've done probably next month we at 400 shows that we've done um and that's right out of all the shows we've done there's only been probably less than five percent probably less than one percent that he's not been on and and, and usually he's not on when maybe like in the middle of the thing something happens where the guest has to all of a sudden say you know what I got to go. You know, we've had a yeah, few incidents where that happens. It's a, and little Chris is always like, well, I didn't get to ask my question.
2: Yes, he's upset if he doesn't get
0: to Because <laughs> we always save it closer to the end. Me too. I, I, I probably sometimes should do it at the beginning, but I don't know. I I, I just like to end that way. <laughs>
1: Sure. It's a great little surprise. Um, yep, exactly. Yeah. So Sandy's
0: got a couple of questions. I'm yeah, sure it's
2: they're... a
1: surprise to your regular viewers. but <laughs> I'm Right,
0: because he, he's a part of the, the show here. And, and I've got this pattern where, and it's really cool, especially when you got the young artists that come on. You know, when I talk about, have them talk about the team, it's really almost, I mean, 90% of the time, it goes, they start talking about their team, 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 and then they the last team member is usually their parents. So it leads perfect into
1: bringing yeah, little Chris it on. Does.
0: And so what? So I'm like, that's why I kind of save it for that for what, you know, because I think that's perfect because he's a team. They're talking about team. So I try to tie it together. Yes. So All cool. right. Uh, who have been some of the favorite people that you've worked with over the years?
1: Well, uh, <laughs> You know, Dolly is probably the nicest person. Oh,
2: wow. Uh, yeah. We hear that a lot. We've heard that a lot about her.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, shortly after she recorded my song, I I was, again, as I said, I was living with my mother. <laughs> I, I, get a, I get a phone call one day, and it's Dolly's assistant. And said
2: that,
1: uh, gee, Dolly would love to meet the, the man that wrote that wonderful song. Wow. Wow. I said, well, that would be really cool. But I was with the band a lot. So I, so we tried to de- figure out when she was going to be in the as close to New York as possible.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so it turned out she, was, she, she had a gig on a night that I was free, but it was down in Maryland, which is about a five-hour drive, I think, memory serves.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: said, you know, I'm not going to pass this opportunity up. And my daughter was 12 at the time. So I asked her mother if uh if I could bring her with me. And she said, Yeah. Wow. And so we drive down there. And you know, and Dolly had this one of those country artist buses, you know, um. with, with everything in it. And she just was so sweet and so welcoming. And uh, and, and she was really nice to my daughter. And uh and in fact, it came, and she, she, oh, I remember one thing she did. She was talking about the way she dressed on stage. Because in those days, you know, 1978, a lot of people were wearing denim, you know, blue jeans. Uh,
2: yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't wear, I
1: don't wear blue jeans and denim and stuff. She says, because most of my fans, they drive tractors for a living, and they wear blue jeans all day. They want to see the princess. <laughs> wow. So that's
2: what I give them. Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: She had a whole row up on the side of the bus of, of, of shoes. And she says, mm-hmm. You see these shoes? You you wouldn't believe where I bought them. I said, Where'd you get them? She says, I got them at the Goodwill. $6 a pair. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All her money, she could have bought anything.
2: Yes. Which,
1: a country girl, you know, and, and you just mm-hmm. had a little. And, uh, and, and she she brought us with her when she was getting ready to go on stage. And wow. So in the wings with her. And my daughter starts by by this time my daughter was more comfortable. She starts getting real chatty. And I said, Baby, I said, be cool. I said, Dolly has to prepare to go on stage. She says, Oh, forget about doing it. You know, I don't have to prepare. You sit you stand right here with me, honey, until I go on. And <laughs> said, oh, that's how she was, man. Wow. We eventually we we ended up having So a few years later, we ended up having the same management. And uh, so I'd I'd see her. Our manager gave a Christmas party every year, and Dolly would be the hostess, so Mm I'd run into her that way. But she was just, I couldn't say enough
2: nice about her. Wow. Oh, awesome. And what would you like your legacy to be? What would you ultimately like to be known for?
1: People ask me that, you know, uh, and uh, I, I rarely know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think I'd like to be known uh, for the songs I wrote. You know, songs outlive artists.
2: Yeah, yeah. They do.
1: You know, I remember Chip Taylor when I was first, he was sort of a mentor to me when we were writing, when I was first started writing. He said, he said, stay away from the trendy. Ah. Uh, try to write songs that you could picture people singing 20 years from now.
2: Oh, that's good advice. Yes,
1: Because that's where your real money comes from. And uh, so I, I tried to write more classic type things that, that, that wouldn't go out of style. You know, because, you know, you hear some of these records, <laughs> and you know, 20 minutes after you hear them, they're going to be dated.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, you can tell
1: it really worked well with at this moment because um, here, here we are. I mean, it's been what more than forty years after I wrote that song, and it's still you go in the grocery store, still
2: playing. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love that. Yes. You know, a lot of artists have recorded it, including Michael Bublé, who sold over ten million albums. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know if you if you write a song that a lot of people can sing um, you, you know, you, you're more likely to have a, something that lasts and that's that's kind of what you want. you want your 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 writing
0: to, to on after you Susan says still one of her favorite songs, yes, thank you Susan. <laughs> so um. As we come to a close here, what's next for you? Well, I've been trying to figure that out. You know,
1: uh, I, I've been sort of playing with the idea of a of a sequel to a dollar a dollar for toothpaste. Oh well, wow. um, I'm having a little I'm a little stuck right now. Uh, so, but hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> Susan says you're welcome. <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll get past that. You know, and, and so that's it. kind of what I'm doing. I do have, I do have a, an album uh, uh, recent, recently out called Timeless. Oh wow! Uh. I, I was going through some uh, some older songs that I had never recorded,
2: <laughs>
1: and I said, "Boy, this one's really good." This one's really good. Oh my! Well, I came up with ten songs that I I oh wow. And for for one reason or another, I had never gotten around to recording them. And as I said before, they they were they were the kind of songs that that's why it's called timeless, huh? And that's why I called it timeless. Yeah. So I went in. and I I said, you know, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to want to get the best musicians in LA I can find and I'm going to get a really good little studio and we're going to go in and, and we're going to make it like the old fashioned ways I had all the rhythm section you know the guitar bass, piano and drums everybody play at the same time and and play off each other you know inspire each other
2: yeah yeah and,
1: and so we 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 did that and then I brought in brought in four horn players, uh, you know, a few days later. And uh, we, we put them on the record. And uh, I'm really proud of the album. I, It's, you know, most artists will say, oh, that's in their favorite record, or their favorite song. It's it's the newest one. You know? But yeah. it,
2: yes. But it case, really is. A,
1: in this is. case, it's one of my favorite albums I ever made. And I'm really, really proud of it. It's it's actually gotten some some airplay. Oh wow! On, on both the both. jazz stations and and also uh, the, the regular music stations in in various parts of the country. I I got a guy out here and uh, Steve Tyrell does a radio show every day. Uh, he he plays songs from it. Uh, uh, there's, there's a jazz station in New York uh, called WBGO and they've been playing a couple of songs from it and and then there the, there's a, a couple of stations in Tennessee and and this one song on, that they've been playing it went to number 1 in the area and uh, wow. jumping above Barry Manilow all these big stars and uh and of course then 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 bad luck came the covid came uh-huh. and, and the, the warehouse of the company you know CD Baby uh, they they clo- They had to close their warehouse, so people would would order the record, but they couldn't buy it. Oh wow! I,
2: got,
1: I, I finally got a, a good record that's on the radio, and, and then people can't get it. And, then
2: people, and
1: the people couldn't buy that sucker. So I don't know, you know. But I guess you could, you know. But, but the people that that in the age group that are that like the kind of music I do, they're not really big on downloading. You know, they, they want something yeah. to hold in their hands. We still like that. We still like that, too. Me, too, me too baby. I, I like to hold it. I like to read the notes. You know, I like to look on who wrote the songs or who played the saxophone. Mm-hmm. All that. Yeah. Yeah. If you download, you don't have any information. And I'm an information junkie.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, even when, I was little, when I was a young fellow, buying these 45s. Everybody remembers what 45s were mm. mm-hmm. records with the big hole in the middle.
2: Yeah. Yes.
1: They would have the name of the song. They had the name of the artist. They would have the name of the songwriter, the, the name of the publisher. I mean, all that information. Man, I, and I, I was one of those crazy guys, you know. And I, of course, I, I would attract friends that were the same way. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Well, we, oh, yeah. Well, who wrote this song? Oh yeah, no, yeah, that guy wrote that. You know, and so we'd have these kind of arguments, you know, <laughs> over, over things like that. Or who who made the best version of Mustang Sally, you know. <laughs> it, 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 Love it, that.
0: So, so, as, so as we come to a close here, tell everybody how they can reach out to you.
1: Well, you can go to BillyVera.com, billyver dot com. That's my website. You can find me on uh Facebook. You can find me on um, what's it, Instagram. I'm on there, and I, I'm pretty pretty good about being on, you know, checking in with them every day. And, <laughs> yeah, you can you can give me a, give me a hello, say hi, say you. Say <laughs> hi. You're you know?
0: Love that. You know, we really enjoyed having you on the show today. You got such great stories, so we definitely look forward to having you back on the road. Oh, yes.
1: Well, you name it, I'll, I'll come and see you again.
0: For,
2: Sounds a, great. Sounds great.
0: <laughs> you have a great day.
2: Yes, yeah, thank, thank you. Thank okay. okay. you.